But today we have a special guest with us. Um, I'm gonna invite Rick up to the stage. And while he's walking up here, um, I wanna give you a little bit of backstory. Uh, we're a little over two years old as a church. And one of the things you have to do when you start a new church is you have to get financial partners because it takes money to get a new church started. Rick is from the Hills Church. He's the lead pastor of the Hills Church down in Texas. It's a church of a little over 5,000 people. And uh, Rick and his church have been the number one financial supporters of Trace Church from the beginning. And so can we give it up for the Hills Church and for Rick? And uh, I asked him and his wife if they'd be willing to have lunch with us afterwards because uh, his leadership is something that I pay a lot of attention to uh, because their church, um, and it's a church that we aspire to be like, the Hills Church, uh, they give over 50% of everything that comes in to missions, which includes church planting. And so we would love to become a church that could do that one day. And so we aspire to be like them. And so without me saying anything else, uh, can we just show Rick a really warm Trace welcome as he shares from God's word with us this morning. Well, I'm the one who feels honored to be here. Uh, I want you to know that Trace Church has an impact beyond Colorado Springs. Just last weekend, I was talking to my church about you, about your phenomenal growth, about your uh, love for lost people, and the great things you're doing here in the spring. So I want you to know that you're having an impact and you're making a difference. And I'm the one who feels honored to be partnered with such a great church family. Real quick, by the way, I am not speaking in tongues. This is called a Texas accent, okay? <laughs> I hope we have an interpreter in the house if that's necessary. But this is how I sound. Well, that was a very kind introduction, but a little overdone. Here's the truth. Um, I remember when I was a baby preacher, I got to speak at a youth rally in Amarillo, Texas. About a thousand teenagers there. One of those nights where the spirit was just moving and a lot of those teens came and said, I want to give my life to Christ. And after we were through, there was a father of one of the teens, a man probably in his late 40s, who came forward. He had tears coming down his face. He grabbed me by the shoulders and shook me. He said, young man, I want you to know that what you said tonight really touched me. And I could tell he was sincere. I was holding my Bible. I said, well, I want you to know the reason you were touched is because you opened up your heart to the word of God. Because the power is always in God's word, not in any eloquence on my part. He backed up and said, you know, you're right. Because I've heard you before and you're not that good a speaker. Okay. <laughs> so I have not come to try to impress you with my eloquence or my accent but just to try to drive us deep into God's Word because that's where the power is. So on your Bible, your phone, your app, whatever, find Acts 27, and we'll be there in just a moment. But I want to begin with a strange question. Have you ever been on a sinking boat? Because I have. I have an irrational fear of boats. I only have two irrational fears. The other is snakes. I am irrationally afraid of snakes. I only hate three kinds of snakes. I hate big snakes. I hate little snakes. And I hate sticks that look like snakes. And my other fear is boats. Because when I was a young boy during the holiday season, my father took my brother, my, up to East Texas. We got on this wooden boat, went out in the middle of a lake, and it took on water, and it sunk. And I'm in the water, for 30 minutes, it was frigid, trying to stay afloat till finally someone came along and rescued us. So maybe you can understand the idea of being on a little boat in a big body of water just freaks me out a little bit. Now, that may not be your thing, but I bet there's been some memory in your past of an event 
that was traumatic enough, it takes courage for you to put yourself in the place where that could actually happen again. Now, where am I going with all this? Well, there's this little verse in the book of 2 Corinthians. Paul, who was a missionary, a church planner, an apostle, he wrote to that church and he said this, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. Are you kidding me? You got on a boat, it went down, and you went and got on a boat again? What are you thinking? And probably what he would say is, what I'm thinking is that if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to summon up some courage. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. So in Acts 27, a little context. It was Paul's desire to take the gospel to the center of the known world, Rome. And the Holy Spirit in a vision told him, you're going to get to do that. And Paul's all pumped up. But first he's got to go down to Jerusalem and take some money he had collected for the poor. While he's in Jerusalem, he gets arrested on trumped up charges and spends two years in prison. He cannot get a fair trial. So finally, as a Roman citizen, he appeals to Caesar. He finally realizes the way God is going to get me to Rome is in chains. So they put Paul and some other prisoners on a ship. And Dr. Luke is allowed to come along with him. And they're taken off for Rome. And for a couple of days, everything's going fine. But then they get into some headwinds. And they make slow progress. And and they're not sure they're going to make it. You see, back in those days, you did not sail in the winter on the Mediterranean Sea. It was too dangerous. And we know it's the fall because he mentioned the Day of Atonement. So they're trying to get there before winter. And they're having trouble because the wind is not helping them. Which raises a question. God... Why do you give me a dream or a pursuit or a passion or a place to be and then make it hard to get there? Hold on to that question. So they reach Crete, an island. They go into a harbor and Paul says to the captain, we need to stay here for the winter. But these experienced sailors are not going to listen to some chained preacher. They decide we've got enough time. The weather's good enough. We can make it. So they take off and for two days they think they've made a good decision because everything's perfect for sailing. On day three, they hit a hurricane. That's what Dr. Luke calls it. Not just for a few hours, but for days. And they are desperate. They do everything they know to do to save the ship. They cut off the lifeboat. They tie the hull with ropes. They throw cargo overboard. They have not tried to sell this boat because it's just being tossed wherever the wind takes it. They are at the mercy of the storm. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. Because look at the shape they were in emotionally. It says... When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. I mean, the sailors had no hope. The soldiers had no hope. Only one person had hope. It says, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sell from Crete. Don't you love that? I might be an apostle, but I'm still going to, I told you so now and then, okay? I told you not to do this, okay? You would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage. Because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, 
we must run aground on some island. So Paul receives a word from God in the midst of the storm. And his application of the revelation, two times he says, we need to keep up our courage. Don't let what we're going through hinder you from staying brave. In fact, here is the whole sermon in one sentence. We need courage to grow through what we go through. Back to that original question. Why does God give us a great dream, pursuit, or passion and then make it hard to get there? Well, the answer is Jesus never promised us smooth sailing. One of the false assumptions some have about Christians is that if I follow Jesus, he's going to make life easy. No. The reward for obedience is not a life of convenience. In fact, sometimes obedience makes your life harder. It's because he was faithful that Paul has spent two years in prison. It's because he was obedient that Paul has spent two weeks lurching up and down in a boat, not able to keep his lunch down. You see, most of us have the faith to glorify God when we get where we want to be. Whatever where we want to be is. Married, parents, great job, whatever that is. We can say hallelujah when we get where we want to be. But do we have the courage to praise God during all the delays and the detours on the way? Paul said this from a prison cell to the Philippian church. I expect and hope that I will not fail Christ in anything but that I will have the courage now as always to show the greatness of Christ in my life here on earth, whether I live or die. Paul says, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I may get out of the cell. They may kill me. But here's what I believe. I'm going to have the courage to show that Christ is great wherever this journey takes me. See, here's the thing. We all go through storms. Sometimes we go through storms because we made bad choices and we're experiencing the consequences of our poor decisions. And sometimes we go through rough seas because somebody else made bad choices. Like Paul was in a storm because somebody else made a decision. And then there are those storms we go through just because life can be hard for everybody. You don't get to choose your storms. You get to choose if you're going to grow through what you go through. And that takes courage. I want to show you quickly three ways Paul demonstrated courage in the storm. And it started in verse 33. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Now, now watch this. After he said this. Now remember, the, the boat's going up and down. The storm is blowing, okay? He took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. And then he broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged. And ate some food themselves. So here's the first thing. It takes courage to trust that God is present in your present circumstances. Especially when you're in a storm. 
See, God's always near, but it's not always easy to recognize that. And when the storm is present, it can feel like God is absent. And if we're honest, every one of us have had the same thought of the psalmist in chapter 10. Lord, why are you so far away? Why do you hide when there's trouble? We've all wondered that. Does God hide? No. But it can feel like he's far away. It can feel like he's paying no attention. Paul has spent two years of his life in prison for something he didn't do. Now he has spent two weeks in a storm in a sea that he didn't ask for. So what do you do? You take courage. You stand up in front of everyone in that boat in the middle of the storm. And you thank God. The absence of calm didn't stop Paul from declaring the presence of God. Like the psalmist in chapter 16, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. Do you have the courage in the middle of the storm to thank God and declare he's here? It's hard. And one reason we don't see God is because sometimes he lets us go through things we didn't see coming. And it doesn't feel like God's around when things come around that weren't on the itinerary that we didn't want to go through. We didn't want to go through infertility. We didn't want to go through miscarriage. We didn't want to go through downsizing. We weren't planning on going through life never married. We didn't want to go through the pain of watching our parents split up. And we wouldn't wish on anybody that they go through what we've been through with our son and his addiction. Tim Keller, a preacher in New York City, says when he was a young man, he fell in love with a girl. But she didn't love him back quite as much. And so he prayed for a year to God to change her mind. He even moved closer to her to make it easier for God. And he says, I can look back now and realize she wasn't the one But finally, God's Spirit had to say to me, when a child of mine asks me for something, I'm going to give them what they would have asked for if they knew everything I know. You see, the last thing anybody on that boat was asking for was a shipwreck. And the very thing they didn't want was the very thing they needed to save their lives. And that boat ran aground just like God told Paul it would. And all 276 people on that boat made it to shore alive. Let's read what happened next. Once safely on shore, we found out the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper... I cannot believe this. I'm reading about boats and snakes on the same day. <laughs> said a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. 
when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up and suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Okay, now just put yourself in Paul's place. You have spent two years in jail for something you didn't do. You have spent two weeks on a boat losing your lunch in a storm. You get thrown into the water. It is frigid. You make it to shore. It's raining. You're cold. You're just trying to build a fire. And a snake comes out and bites you on the hand. I would have looked up to heaven and said, seriously. I mean, give me a break. Because Paul is about to face a storm even more challenging. And I call it the courage to find your identity in what God says instead of what others say. Because people are quick to assign reasons why you're going through what you're going through, aren't they? You've been there in a tough season of life, and everybody's got their opinion about why you're there. Because it's easier to give people a label than it is to give them a hand. But Paul did not live in fear of the latest opinion poll. So here he is with a snake's fang so deep in his hand, it's hanging. And people he doesn't know are judging him saying, he must be a bad dude. And Paul looked right back and said, haters going to hate, 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 shake it off, shake it off. And that became the lyrics to a popular hymn. You see, uh, that's how people are. One day you're a criminal, the next day you're a god. People's opinions of you are so fickle. What God says about you is so faithful. But it takes courage to live each day believing what we sang this day. That I am who you say. I am. Well, it takes courage to be a single adult following Jesus today. When the culture says every day, if you're not having a lot of sex with a lot of people, you couldn't possibly be living a fulfilled life. But then God says, your body belongs to me. I bought it at the cross. And your greatest joy is finding intimacy with me. It takes courage to listen to God and not to what everybody else says about you. It takes courage to be a young father when the culture constantly tells you that your self-worth depends on your net worth. So you better grind and you better work and you better Forsake the family more than you need because what really matters is how much do you acquire because everybody knows the person with the most toys when they die is the real winner. And God says, seek first the kingdom. Don't spend your life amassing how much stuff that is going to burn when Jesus comes back. Be rich to your neighbor. Be rich to your church. It takes courage to listen to God, not to what everybody else says. 
I deal with this all the time. Preachers are constantly getting different people's opinions of who they are. And so I announced to my church recently that I'm going to do a series starting in March called Why Talk About Race? And we're going to just jump right into some very hard conversations about Scripture and gospel and race relations. And I told my church in advance, I'm going to say some things that might be hard to hear. And people have been emailing, Pastor, we're praying for you that when you preach, nobody will get mad. And I email back, don't pray that. Pray that I will have the courage to say what is true, whether people get mad or not. You see, one of my life's verses is in Galatians 1. I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Following Jesus takes courage. And especially in the battle we all face to overcome approval addiction. That's why one of my favorite illustrations has always been about a man named Milton Cunningham. He's a missionary. He was back in the States on furlough, flying from Atlanta to Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. He's on a plane that has three seats on one side, and he's in the middle seat. Next to him by the window is a little girl who clearly had Down's syndrome. He felt a tug on his sleeve. Mister, did you brush your teeth this morning? And he smiled, yes, I did. Good, you should brush your teeth every day. A moment later, another tug. Mister, do you smoke? No, honey, I don't smoke. Good, smoking will kill you. And then another tug. Mister, do you love Jesus? Yes, I love Jesus very much. Good, everybody should love Jesus. Plane's about to leave. Another guy comes in and sits down on the other side of Milton. Now, he's got on the business suit and the briefcase and the whole look. Plane takes off. He gets out a book. He's got the whole I'm busy, don't bother me thing going. Milton feels a tug on his sleeve. Ask him if he brushed his teeth this morning. <laughs> and so Milton turned and said, excuse me, my new friend wants to know. And the guy surmised the situation and nodded. And Milton thought, oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> ask him if he smokes. And then ask him if he loves Jesus. That's kind of personal. Ask him if he loves Jesus. I don't want to bother him. Ask him if he loves Jesus. So finally, Milton overcame approval addiction. And said, I'm sorry, one last time. My friend wants to know, do you love Jesus? He said the man's face got real dark and then it got real sad. He said, I'm going through some real tough seasons right now. And I think I need to find God. But I don't even know how to start. And so for two hours on the way to Dallas-Fort Worth, Milton was able to help him start. Because God used a little girl to give him courage. That leads right into the last point, that it takes a lot of courage to be who you should be when you're not where you want to be. Paul didn't want to be on Malta. He wanted to be in Rome. See, we've all been stuck on Malta. Malta is the place you didn't plan on going to. Malta is the experience that you wanted to not go through. And here's the thing. You may not be responsible for where you are, but you are responsible for what you do where you are. So Paul is in a place he didn't plan to be. He's in a place he didn't want to be. But he knew who he was supposed to be. What did he do? 
Well, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. And when this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sell, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. So you see, when the storms of life take you to the places and take you through the experiences that you didn't plan and that you didn't even want, here's a great question. Well, since I'm here, how can God use me? And who can I bless? Because divine detours always lead to ministry opportunities. Just because you didn't plan on it doesn't mean it can't fit inside the plan of God. That's how we got the book of Galatians. Do you know that? Look at chapter 4 with me. You remember it was because of an illness I came to you the first time preaching the good news. Paul says, I wasn't planning to be there. I got sick. And since I was there anyway, I went ahead and preached. And now there's a church and a letter that 2,000 years later is still blessing the church. Here's the thing. Getting where you want to go is not as important as being who you're supposed to be right where you are. Because God edits itineraries, not for your pleasure. He does it for His purposes. So let me tell you my plain story. Ironically, it happened here in Colorado Springs some years ago. I was in this area, and I spoke at an event, and then I was trying to fly home. Uh, I was eager to get back to my family, and uh, my flight was delayed, and delayed some more, and finally, it was completely canceled. They put me on a flight that wasn't going to leave till late in the evening, put me in a seat I didn't reserve or want to sit in, so I was pretty frustrated. I was wearing a coat and a tie I don't usually wear because of the event I spoke at. I get in my seat. I'm frustrated. I'm going to be really late getting home. I get out a book to read. A lady sits right next to me. The plane takes off, and after a couple of minutes, she turns over, and she says, excuse me, are you a lawyer? And I thought, I don't even know you. Why are you insulting me? No, I said, no, I'm a minister. And she started weeping. And through her tears, she told me that three weeks earlier, her 16-year-old daughter had been killed in an accident involving a four-wheeler. Their family were not people of faith and had no resources to cope. Her husband just shut down, grabbed his gun, and said, I'm going hunting. So he's been up for several weeks up here in the mountain somewhere. And after a couple of weeks, she went up to try to connect to him and met him at the camp, and it went horrible. And now she's flying back to her home in Louisiana. Her daughter is dead. Her marriage is crumbling. And she has no worldview with which to handle any of this. And I knew why I was supposed to be in that seat. And so I had a couple of hours to share where my hope comes from and to pray with her. Maybe most important, to give her the name of a Christian counselor in the city that she lived that I knew, that I knew could help her. And as we landed, I realized God had done it again. 
God had arranged a detour. And I don't think it's because I'm a minister. I just think I was the closest Jesus follower at the airport. Next time it'll be you. See, what I think God does, he looks down at his broken world and he sees all these fractured, hopeless people. And he says, where's my closest Christ follower? And how can I detour their schedule to get them over here to connect to the person that needs a word of hope today? And so next time, it'll be you. And that wreck that you don't want just might be someone else's revival. And that's why we asked for the courage to get back on the boat. Because here's the thing. Remember I said we need to grow through what we go through, and here's why. Because what you go through is not just about you. Do you remember what the angel said to Paul back in that storm? God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. It was never just about Paul getting to Rome. It was God's heart for all the people on the boat with him. And so the storms and the shipwrecks and the Maltas become our pulpits if we have the courage to stand in them. Because God is never going to take you where he cannot use you. I want to close by showing you a fairly famous photograph. They're carrying a man called Father Michael who is officially recorded as the first fatality of the 9-11 tragedy. Father Michael was a chaplain for the New York City Fire Department. A Franciscan priest. And whenever there was a fire, he would put on the gear and he would go to encourage the first responders to comfort those that grieved if there was loss. So when the sirens went off that fateful day and everybody was running away from the towers, Father Michael put on his gear and he ran toward them. He ran to the place nobody else wanted to be. And he died there trying to be a voice for God. They found in his wallet a prayer he had written. It's now known as Father Michael's Prayer. Lord, take me where you want me to go. Let me meet who you want me to meet. Tell me what you want me to say. And keep me out of your way. So what's the boat you don't want to get on? The storm you don't want to go through? The Malta you don't want to go to? And is it possible that God could do something powerful with you there? If you have the courage. I'd like to pray over us, but I'd like you to bow your head first and start the prayer. My guess is the Holy Spirit has already put in your heart right now a place in your life where you need more courage. So why don't you just lift up that place to the Lord right now? And why don't you just ask the Lord to help make you braver 
in that place. Oh God, in the powerful name of Jesus, increase our faith to believe that you are ahead of us. That wherever life takes us, you are there. That whoever we meet, no accident. And that no matter where we are, we can be people who lift up and make Jesus look good. I pray for this church. That you'll continue to show favor and blessing on this community of faith. And that they will be known throughout this area as people of grace and truth. And supernatural courage. And I pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.